In the early 50s of the last century, a ferocious heat wave assaulted Europe. It choked its way north from Sicily, where it scorched half the island to brownish rust, up toward Malmö at the lowest tip of Sweden, but it burned most savagely over the city of Paris. Hot steam hissed from the wet rings left by wine glasses on the steel tables of outdoor cafes. In the sky just overhead, a blast furnace exhaled searing gusts, or else a fiery geyser loosed from the sun's core hurled down boiling lava on roofs and pavements. People made this comparison and that. Sometimes it was the furnace, sometimes the geyser. And now and then the terrible heat was said to be a general malignancy, a remnant of the recent war, as if the continent itself had been turned into a region of hell. At that time there were foreigners all over Paris, suffering together with the native population, wiping the trickling sweat from their collarbones, complaining equally of feeling suffocated. But otherwise they had nothing in common with the Parisians, or for that matter, with one another. These strangers fell into two parties, one vigorous, ambitious, cheerful, and given to drink, the other pale, quarrelsome, forlorn, a squad of volatile, maundering ghosts. The first was looking to summon the past, It was a kind of self-intoxicated theater. They were mostly young Americans in their twenties and thirties who called themselves expatriates, though they were little more than literary tourists on a long visit, besotted with legends of Hemingway and Gertrude Stein. They gathered in the cafes to gossip and slander and savor the old tales of the lost generation, and to scorn what they had left behind. They rotated lovers of either sex, and played at existentialism and founded avant-garde journals in which they published one another and bragged of having cited Sartre at the Deux Magots and were proudly, relentlessly, unremittingly conscious of their youth. Unlike that earlier band of expatriates who had grown up and gone home, these intended to stay young in Paris forever. They made up a little city of shining white foreheads, but their teeth were stained from too much whiskey and wine, and too many powerful French cigarettes. They spoke only American. Their French was bad. The other foreign contingent, the ghosts, were polyglot. They chattered in dozens of languages. Out of their mouths spilled all the cadences of Europe. Unlike the Americans, they shunned the past and were free of any taint of nostalgia or folklore or idyllic renewal. They were Europeans whom Europe had set upon. They wore Europe's tattoo. You couldn't say of them, as you surely would of the Americans, that they were a post-war wave. They weren't post-war. Though they had washed up in Paris, the war was still in them. They were the displaced, the temporary and the temporizing. Paris was a way station. They were in Paris only to depart from Paris as soon as they knew who would have them. Paris was a city to wait in. It was a city to get away from. Beatrice Nightingale belonged to neither party. She had been Miss Nightingale, in public, for twenty-four years, even during her marriage and certainly after the divorce, and had sometimes begun to think of herself by that name, if only to avoid the accusatory inward buzz of B. To be or not to be. She was one of that ludicrously recognizable breed of middle-aged teachers 
who save up for a longed-for summer vacation in the more romantic capitals of Europe. That these capitals, after the war, were scarred and exhausted, drained of all their well-advertised enchantments, didn't escape her. She was resilient, intelligent, not inexperienced. Marriage itself had taught her a thing or two. She was, after all, forty-eight years old, graying only a little, and tough with her students, high school boys sporting ducktail haircuts who laughed at Wordsworth and ridiculed Keats. When they came to Ode to a Nightingale, they went out of their way to hoot and leer. But she knew how to tame them. She was good at her job and not ashamed of it. And after two decades at it, she was not yet burned out. She had signed up for London, Paris, and Rome, but gave up on Rome even though it was included in the agent's package deal when she read in her noisy hot hotel room off Piccadilly of the dangerous temperatures in the South.